together. But if you would, turn with me this morning to Jeremiah chapter 1. That's where we're going to be looking at. That's the passage of Scripture we're going to be reading together this morning. Um, Pastor Steve Last week, just finished up a series that we've been over, um, that we've been in over the last uh, 10 or 12 weeks for, for some time over the last couple of months called Step of Faith. And that was an excellent sermon series. I would highly encourage, if you missed any of those weeks, to go back and listen to those um, and be encouraged. But he, he finished that up last week and he asked me to bring us our message this Sunday. And I wasn't sure uh, exactly where I wanted to go with it. But I, I landed on a passage from this week's lectionary, and if you're with us through our Advent study on Wednesday nights uh, leading up to Christmas, you'll, you'll know what that is. But I, I landed on this passage here in Jeremiah that really spoke to me, specifically about the calling of God on the prophet of Jeremiah. And let's look at the, at the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, or or some versions, and I actually like this better, some versions say, Ah, Lord God, I said. I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Verse 8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I've put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Let's pray. God, this morning as we take a look at your prophet Jeremiah and your calling to him, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds are opened. And not just in in the traditional sense, like like we pray every week, God, but I pray that we've come into this place to to receive a, a word from God and that we're open to the ways that it's going to transform us even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it might offend or or irritate us, God. May we be open to your word and your calling. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, I I really had to think about this before I, I said it, but the book of Jeremiah, and I might say this a lot, which is why I had to think about this, but I think it might be my favorite book of the Old Testament. And I'm pretty sure every time I preach a passage of Scripture out of the Old Testament, I say that this is my favorite book of the Old Testament. But Jeremiah really, I think, is my favorite book. And we'll get into specifically why that is um, in just a second. But I think that the book of Jeremiah is probably the, the most misunderstood and one of the most misused books of the Bible. And I'll give you an example. When you think about the book of Jeremiah, uh, generally, what's the first thing, the the first verse that comes in your mind? Someone just start saying it. Go ahead. Oh, bingo. 
Bingo. Jeremiah, it's either Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Or it's, it's this verse right here, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I, I set you apart. We, we can probably, and, and some of us really can, quote these two verses from Jeremiah from, from memory. <laughs> We've probably even cross-stitched them or, or embroidered them on our kitchen towels and we have them hanging over our oven, or, or we framed them and we've, we've put these, to these two verses above our fireplace, and then, then we look at them and, and we read these verses and we remind ourselves that, that we are, are special, right? Uh, like we, we look at that and we're reminded that, that we are, are special. But, and I hope I don't offend anybody this morning, because I'm sure that some of us probably do have those verses uh, in their house. But when I see uh, one of these verses hanging above someone's fireplace, it kind of makes me think that they actually haven't read the book of Jeremiah. (laughs) Because when you read the book, when you look at the the prophet Jeremiah and the life that he lived and the, the things that he was called to do and the things that he was called uh, to say, you realize that very quickly that the context of those verses very significantly changes the meaning of them. They weren't written in a, in a way that was to tell us, way to go, you're, you're special, you're special, God chose you way, but instead they were written specifically to the people of God in a very specific time in their history. You see, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in one of the most tumultuous times in the history of God's people. At this time, when, when, when Jeremiah receives this calling from God, Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And when he received this calling from God here, here in chapter 1, uh, the northern kingdom, kingdom was under siege. They were, they were being captured by the Assyrians. They had been captured. And God's people had been put into exile, been put into captivity. And not only had the northern kingdom been captured, but there was also this additional looming threat to the Israelites. There was the threat of other nations and other armies that were, that were closing in. The Babylonians and the Egyptians were kind of closing in. And Jeremiah probably knew when he received this calling that very soon the southern kingdom of Judah, where he was, was about to become a battleground. (laughs) He was going to see it firsthand. And in the midst of all of that, of God's people being in exile, of God's people being in, in captivity, Jeremiah is called not to bring a comforting word, but to confront God's people with God's word, to tell them that they had turned to idols, to tell them to remind them of their covenant with God, to tell them that they had broken that covenant, and to let them know that these events that were taking place and the events that were about to take place, the the captivity and the exile, was God's judgment on them. So you can understand why I tend to like some versions of the Bible, or some translations of the Bible, a little bit more that, that translate that verse 6 instead of a, a last sovereign Lord, to translate it into an, ah, Lord God. Because that was Jeremiah's response. 
It was a response of terror, like this response of anguish. That's how Jeremiah really responded. It wasn't a, uh, God, I'm, I'm really just not feeling up to it. You know, I'm too young. I really don't know what I, I would say. It was this pleading terror of, please God, not me. He knew the kind of calling that he was receiving. And honestly, Jeremiah didn't want any part of it. <laughs> and so he comes up with this excuse there on the spot. I'm too young. And as far as Old Testament prophets go, Jeremiah was unique. I mean, this instance of calling is pretty typical of how prophets were called in the Old Testament. In fact, it's, it's kind of a formula that we see here. Uh, if you look at, at Mo- Moses, if you look at uh, Isaiah, if you look at Jonah, if you look at Ezekiel, if you look at Nehemiah, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, God appears to these prophets he gives them this calling. They all kind of respond with humility. They say, no, not, not me, God. Please not me. I'm, I'm not prepared. God kind of pats them on the back, says, no, buddy, I got it. Don't worry, I got your back. And then they go forward faithfully uh, to the calling. And that formula happened over and over again. But unlike those other prophets, Jeremiah struggled with his calling, not just in this moment, but throughout his ministry. And he repeatedly wished, and he pleaded that he that he he pleaded with God if that he could free himself from the burden of being God's prophet. We see this pleading specifically in, in chapter twenty, verse seven, where you can see by his words, and I'm not going to read it. You can you can read it later, but you can see by by the words of Jeremiah that this has been an ongoing struggle for him. In fact, if you were to look, the the heading of that passage of, of Jeremiah twenty, uh, verse seven is. <laughs> Jeremiah's complaint, which is just like, just right on it. I mean, it's just right on it. Jeremiah's complaint, and it begins with him complaining. I know it's crazy to think about, but it begins with him complaining about this call that God has given him and this struggle that he's had throughout his ministry. He knew that he had a hard job, and it took its toll on him throughout uh, his ministry. But the reason that the book of Jeremiah is my favorite book in the Old Testament is because I think that it has such use to us as Christians in the 21st century. I think that we can use it to examine ourselves as the people of God. We can use it to ask ourselves questions. Are we beginning to break the covenant that we have with God like the people of God did here in Jeremiah? Are we turning to idols? And if so, if we are turning to idols, if we continue down this road, what's coming for us? And maybe more importantly, we can look at the prophecy of Jeremiah and we can ask, what does it look like to turn and repent from that idolatry? What does it look like to build back on the foundation that God has given us? So we're going to look at this passage Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10, in the scope, in the context of the entire book, the entire ministry of Jeremiah. And we're going to answer three questions about the calling of this prophet and his faithful ministry and service. And my hope for us today is that we can use the answers to these three questions to help us discern the voice of God in the world around us, to discern and to look for the voice of God to his people.
Because we need to be honest. There's a lot of noise out there. (laughs) There's so many things that are vying for our attention. There's so many voices that are trying to shape and are trying to mold us. There's so many, so many people and so many voices that are trying to disciple us. From, from the media and, and the news to, to politics and politicians to even, even the economy. Everything, it seems, is competing with God to make us into their image. And in the chaos of that noise, in the chaos of that competition... It's our role to make sure that we are closely listening for the voice of God. Amen? So by answering these three questions, I think that we can see the clues that better clarify for us where the voice of God is and what God is calling us into today. The first question that I think we need to answer is this. What was Jeremiah called to do? Verse 10 clearly lays out the difficult task that God was calling Jeremiah into, when God says this, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down. Hmm. To destroy and overthrow. To build and to plant. Jeremiah was called to do the hard work and not only was it hard work, but it wasn't fun work. His, his calling wasn't, wasn't going to be like that of the prophet Nehemiah, where he was going to be able to rally all of Jerusalem um, around him to rebuild the city walls to, to protect them from invasion. He, he didn't have a calling like, like Moses to lead God's people out of the clutches of slavery to Egypt. His prophecies wouldn't foretell a a coming salvation like that of Isaiah that was coming for the people of God, but primarily, he would prophesy judgment. God was clear in his calling to Jeremiah, yes, eventually you will be able to build back, but your first role as my prophet is going to be doing the hard work of tearing things down of uprooting and tearing down, of destroying and overthrowing, tearing down the idolatry of my people, uprooting the injustice that has seeped into the society of Judah. God is is telling Jeremiah that you're going to be warning of a coming invasion, of a coming exile. You're going to be given the uncomfortable mission of telling people a truth that they have been trying to avoid. Today, I believe that God's voice is found in a similar place, in the truth that we have to tear down. Tear down before we can build back up. And this isn't what we want to hear. It's typical human nature to to improve kind of over linear progress, right? You build upon what's, what's already there. You, you take something, you make it better, and you make it better, and you keep making it better, and, and you build on what's, what's already there. You add instead of, uh, uh, instead of taking away. It's easier that way. It, honestly, it takes a lot less effort. 
It takes a lot uh, less time. It requires less resources. If, if we're looking at a house, it, it costs a lot less to, uh, to fix up a house that may be run down rather than uh, tearing it down and, and building up from the ground up. So we litter the ground with new seed instead of stopping to tear up the weeds. And what happens when, when soil isn't plowed and when the weeds aren't uprooted? Well, any good gardener can tell you that the weeds begin to take over. And the new growth is choked out by the things that weren't meant to be there. So God calls us towards the difficult task, task of destruction. Of tearing down the corrupted parts of us of tearing down the corrupted parts of the church to allow him to grow in us and in the world something new. But maybe one of the primary issues, if we're looking at what does God want to tear down, what needs to be torn down to, uh, to, for something new to grow and to take place, is where do we look? Or maybe more specifically, what is it that needs to be uprooted? And what is it that needs to be destroyed? Well, I think we can answer that by looking at our next question. Where was Jeremiah called to go? Now, to look at just this text, the answer to that question is, is a little confusing. Because twice here in this passage, God says to Jeremiah that he is preparing to put him over the nations. Um, verse 5 says that he's going to prophesy to the nations. Verse 10 uh, again says that he's going to be put over the, the nations and kingdoms. But in reality, if you are, are to look at the entire scope of the ministry, ministry of Jeremiah, it's overwhelmingly in ministry specifically to the people of God in Judah. Most of the prophecies in this book are addressed to the people of Judah. It isn't until uh, the end of the book, in chapters 46 through 51, and there's only 52 chapters um, in the book of Jeremiah, it's only until that very end that any of the prophecies address any other nations, that they begin to address anybody other than the people of God. So it's clear that, that while God was setting Jeremiah up here in this passage to understand that, yes, he would have a role to play in the world at large, God primarily had a word for his people. The prophet Jeremiah wouldn't go out to prophesy judgment towards the Babylonians and the Egyptians. And he wouldn't go to, to them to call them to repentance for what they had done. But he had a prophecy of judgment and repentance for the people of Judah. They were the ones that he was sent to. And this was true for many of the prophets that were sent from God in the Old Testament. Many, but, but not all of them, were sent to give their prophetic voices not as words towards those who were on the outside, but towards the people of God. And this is an important distinction for us to make if we're trying to discern prophecy, if we're trying to discern the Word of God in our own lives and in the world today. You know, if if we're to picture a, a modern-day prophet, we may be tempted to look for, uh, for someone who is denouncing what, what they see or what we see as sin in the world, in the world at large. 
Um, in fact, you know, just thinking about the word prophet, uh, it can kind of sometimes bring some negative connotations. I actually, I began to picture the people who, when I was at the University of Arkansas, who would come into the middle of campus and hold signs and they would yell uh, and tell people to turn from their wicked ways because the end of the world was near. And they were there like in the middle of the day, like four days a week. And I was like, man, y'all have, is this your job? Y'all have a, is this your job? But that's kind of the, when I think of the word prophet, that's, that's what I begin to picture. It kind of brings out, honestly, this, like this negative connotation um, in that sense. And yes, those, those kind of prophets did exist in the, in the Old Testament. Jonah is, is a great example of a prophet that was sent to a group of people, the, the, the people of Nineveh, who were not Israelites. And, and he told them that they needed to repent from their wicked ways or they would be um, destroyed. So yes, there are those prophets that go into the world. But far more often than not, the prophets of God were spent, sent specifically to the people of God rather than to others who were on the outside. So for us, when we're looking to discern which voices around us are prophetic voices from God and which ones are just adding to the noise, it's important for us to identify which ones are speaking specifically to the church. Where is God talking specifically to the church? And this can be a hard discernment for us to make. A lot, a lot harder than you may think. It's a difficult task. Because we want to believe, as the church, as, as the people of God, we want to believe desperately that when things aren't going our way, that the voice of God is calling for change to the world rather than a change to us. When, when politics don't go our way, when, when leaders make decisions that, that we don't agree with, it's easy for us to think that they are in the, in the wrong and God is calling them to repentance. But in reality, when we begin to think that way, I think we really reveal the things that we idolize. Because when we do that, we are limiting the work of God. We're limiting God to our own opinions about the, how the world should be. So instead of, of listening for how God is actually moving in our own lives, instead of worshiping a God who is transforming us, we begin to worship a God who only moves in the ways that we think He should. We begin to worship a God who only agrees with our opinions. We begin to worship a God who, who only agrees with our values and our morals and, and our, our politics. And when that happens, can I tell you a hard truth? It means that instead of allowing God to shape us into His image, we are shaping God into our own image. You know, I was, I was thinking about this in, in the early service. We used to, way back when I was like in junior high, which is getting further away every day. Um, way back. Some, some of y'all will remember it, though. We used to do, we used to... <laughs> 
<laughs> we used to do these dramas. Do y'all remember the dramas that we used to do, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings periodically? And we did this, uh, we did this skit like three or four times. Um, I don't remember how, how often we did it, but it was, God, it was called God in a Box. Y'all remember? Anybody remember the God in a Box skit? No? My, Thomas remembers? All right, I'm not the only one. And the whole premise of this skit was that you don't want to limit what God can do. You don't want to put God in a box. And that's exactly what we're doing when we limit the work of God to other people instead of ourselves. When we, when we limit God to our own opinions, when we limit God to uh, our, our own things, we begin to put God in that box to shape Him to look more like us. And that's not what God is coming to do. That perfectly leads me into the, the third question that I think that we can ask about the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah. If, if Jeremiah was, was called to the people of Judah, if he was called to the people of God, and, and these people of God, they were, they were supposed to be looking for the word of God around them, then how was Jeremiah received by those people? <laughs> and let me tell you, in a nutshell, not well. Okay? If you look at the, the life of Jeremiah, if you, if you re- read the book through, and then you look at verse 8 where God tells him, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. You realize that that was just that was kind of an under-exaggeration uh, by God. <laughs> but it was also, it was, it was more than just this comforting thought. It was a word of warning to the prophet of what was to come. Because as Jeremiah began to prophesy, the, the words that God had given him, the words that, that, that God reached down and touches his mouth and gives him the, the word of God, as he begins to prophesy, he becomes an enemy more than a friend to his own nation. Countless times throughout his ministry, he's, he's denounced, he's pursued, he's, he's pushed to the outside, he's ostracized by the people of Judah. Even, even the priests in his hometown, who he was a priest, he, he was a priest there in Anathoth, and even the priests in his hometown that he knew, these were his friends, um, his brothers, threatened to kill him. He, he wrote his prophecies down on a scroll, and the scroll of his prophecies was burned, which he promptly went and he had an, another one written. He was imprisoned more than once. When he went to Jerusalem, he was, he was cast into this deep well, this deep cistern, with, with mud and, and muck at the bottom, and he was left there to die. He, a, a prophet of God, was barred from entering the temple of God. He was beaten, and he was put into stocks, and he was threatened multiple times um, with the death penalty. And as he called for, for, for Judah to surrender to Babylon, his nation stamped him as a traitor and an enemy. He was, to put it very lightly, not well-liked by the people of God that he was sent to. And this was why, throughout his entire ministry, throughout his life, he struggled so much with his calling. Because he was, he was asking people to confront their own hypocrisy, to confront their own idolatry, to recognize that they had turned away from God for the, uh, the gods of others. And that, not surprisingly, caught many people the wrong way. But it's important for us to understand this morning that the Word of God will necessarily make people and 
specifically make the people of God uncomfortable. This past Wednesday night, as, we're, uh, as we've been going through the, our Nazarene study, um, we, we talked about holiness and sanctification, which if any of you are long-time Nazarenes, you know that is what it's all about, baby, to be a Nazarene, is, is holiness and sanctification. It's the core of, of our beliefs. It's the core of, of who we are as a, a, de- a denomination. It's the core of our doctrine. And, and what that means is that we believe that God is always working in our lives. That, and I, I said it on Wednesday that salvation is not the end of the race, but salvation is the beginning of the race, is the beginning of the movement of God in our lives. And throughout our whole life, that God is constantly working, us, working in us through through his grace to to slowly perfect us, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. And it's good to remind ourselves that, to to remind us that that from, from the moment that we were born, God is working in our lives and he doesn't stop working, he doesn't stop shaping, he doesn't stop molding until we go to be with him. And we're, when we are confronted with our idolatry, when we are confronted with the Word of God like that came from the prophet Jeremiah, it makes us uncomfortable because it reminds us that we still got a long way to go. It reminds us that God does still have a work to do in our lives. And we may not like that. We have a, a natural tendency to to see ourselves as, as the good guy, and that God's already done a work in our lives, and He has. But He's still doing that work today, and will do it again tomorrow and the next. There are some things that have become so much a part of who we are that if, if something or, or someone were to come along and, and tell us that, that these things needed to be torn down, then we would probably feel offended and we would probably revolt. And I kind of, I, I hate to do this. Um, I feel like I do it every time I preach out of the Old Testament. But I, I feel in my bones. And I, I don't want to say that, that we are in a moment that reflects this passage and I don't want to say that every time, especially because it's okay for us to read the Bible and, and uh, not try to kind of force it into our own context and not try to force it into who we are. And, and the reality is, is that our, our lives today don't look, doesn't look anything like uh, the lives of the people of God here in the book of, of Jeremiah. We, we aren't in a period of, of siege. We aren't being captured. We aren't in a, a period of, of exile. We aren't in a, a period of captivity as the church. But I do feel like we're in a time period where God is tearing down before he builds back up. I feel as though Jeremiah is here, having been sent to the church. And over the last several years, God has has begun pointing out the systems in the church, the systems in our our lives, the, the idolatries in our lives that don't reflect him. And it can make us uncomfortable. It can make us feel
but God's at work. And I've shared this, this journey that I've been on almost, almost weekly with our Wednesday night crowd, uh, maybe to the point that it's starting to feel like I'm repeating myself over and over to them. <laughs> but I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton of time to prepare for this sermon today, so I had to decide that I was going to come and just share my heart. But I feel like God is doing the hard work of uprooting the weeds in the church and even in personally in my own life. It can be easy for us to get comfortable. It can be easy for us to uh, begin to care about a lot of things that, that don't matter. You know, we can, we can care about how big our, our church is, about our numbers. We can get obsessed with that. We can care about, about being attractive and flashy and wanting to draw as many people in as, as possible. As, as pastors, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's extremely easy for us to care about competing with, uh, with other churches and pastors, about putting out a product every single week that is, is the absolute best um, no matter what. But over, over the last few years and over the, these last few months specifically, I've had a reality check, and I think our church has. I think that the church worldwide has had a reality check. I hope it's not just me, but what I've realized is that so much of that, so much of it is nothing but idolatry. It's the need to feel important. It's the need to feel uh, validated by a, by a big and a growing church. It's, it's, it's a need to be the, the best. And can I tell you something? God does not care about any of it. At the end of the day, all that God cares about is if we're following Him. All that He cares about is if we are looking like Jesus. All He cares about is if we are, are feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, helping the needy, loving our neighbor the way that Christ loved them. And I, I shared this with our, our Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago, but I feel like our church is on the, just the precipice of something big. And not like huge numbers big, we're, we're running 2,000 and we've got to go to four services. That would be miserable. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> that would make for a very long Sunday. <laughs> so not like something flashy and, and like big numbers, big. But the, the conversations that we've been having as a staff, the, the conversations that I've been having with so many of you um, in our church... They're, they're telling me that we are on the verge, <laughs> we are right there at it, that we are, are on the verge of truly understanding what God has planned for this church and this community. God is tearing down before he grows something beautiful. And that's going to hurt. The things that we love are going to be uprooted. The things that, that we love may be destroyed. But I want you to join me in prayer about that. 
Because God is on the move. Amen? Hmm. He's doing the hard work, the tough work of tearing something down in his people so that he can rebuild with new growth. And that may make us feel like we ourselves are being attacked. But our prayer together and my prayer for us is that we are open to God's word through his prophets no matter how, much, how uncomfortable it makes us feel. Because make no mistake about it, God's prophets are still speaking his word today. Amen? Let's pray. God, when we pray every single week, when we come here and we pray, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. <laughs> so often, we do that a little selfishly. So often we may pray that and really mean a caveat of as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable, as long as it's something that I agree with. But God, we recognize today through your prophet Jeremiah that your work makes us uncomfortable. God, that necessarily... We don't build and build and build and build and, and build on the things that, that aren't working that, and build on the things that aren't from you. But God, at some point in time, we reach a point as, as the church, we reach a point as, as Christians in, in our individual lives, but, but especially corporately together, we reach a point, God, where we realize that we have to uproot some of this out. God, that we have to focus back on one thing, and that is you. So we have to get rid of things. We have to get rid of things to make sure that that focus is on your new growth. God, may we not throw out new seed before we uproot the weeds. We thank you so much for your movement. God, we thank you that, that you care enough about us, that you care enough about, about humanity to come and to make us uncomfortable that you care enough about us to, uh, to make us feel uh, to like, like we're broken. But God, may your healing power wash over us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you all very much.